and he said, the sufferings of the age are very long as they be, maybe thousands of years, but that the sufferings of the age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in <coughs> Now, probably that is right, that is the mind of the apostle. But there is no reason, of course, why we should uh, not adopt the easier exposition, because the one embraces the other, it means the age in that sense, it also means all the minutes and moments that make up that age. So that is referred to what we mean when we say, in the meantime, our own lifetime, it embraces that, even if it really does mean the other thing. Now there are sufferings of different kinds, and sufferings can arise uh, from different sources. After all, or as most of you are benefit, very well known. There is not a faculty in the mind or a member in the body from which suffering cannot arise. Doesn't matter what member you think of your ears or your eyes or your tooth or your sciences, your hands or your feet. Inward organs. There is not a member in the body which may not cause physical suffering. And then the mind has faculties, as the body has members, and sufferings can arise from all the faculties of the mind. Now, all the that, sufferings can arise from outwardly which cause trials, which cause sufferings to both body and mind. For example, there is bereavement. You lose a dear one in the family that causes grief of heart. Sufferings arise through the malignity of men and the dishonesty of people and various other to far too numerous dimensions, suffering arise from these causes of as well. <coughs> now, without dwelling very much on this aspect of things, it's, it's such a big subject in itself that one can't really dwell too long on it. Uh, we cannot judge the measure the intensity of anybody else's suffering, although we are able to know what they are going through. We cannot judge, we cannot measure the intensity of what that suffering may be to you or to anyone else. What I mean is this. There are two people saying no to you, and both are 
same situation or the same kind of suffering in their family life or in their own bodies or they're in hospital with the same kind of sickness or both have the same kind of family or domestic trials. Now, we have mentioned what these surveys are after the people who have them. It all depends on the kind of people they are. The measure of any suffering is according to the measure of pain that that suffering inflicts upon one's mind. And you get plenty of going through life. You see somebody and they tell you what is wrong and they get depressed and they're really going to a bad way. And you are very happy to say, but why is it like that? They don't need to take it so seriously. Other people go to the platform and act. And it hasn't had that effect upon them. But if you're quite right, as far as that goes. But what you are considering is what that particular suffering may cause to the person's mind who's going through it. Now God didn't make us all alike. And you may be able to put that with one kind of suffering mentally in a marvelous way and be brave and courageous and I may just crumble under the very same kind of suffering. But I don't think anybody can explain that. I don't think that I can explain that. And that is it. So, what I am trying to say to you is that we must not measure really the degree or the intensity of any suffering according to what we ourselves see. What one a mere chapter may be to others a real burden. It all depends on the intensity, the intensity of the emotion that the suffering causes. So it is a question of that. Now, there are two things which necessitate that we should have suffering in this life. I'm just going to mention them and go on to the other problems. There are two things from which you should never really ask God to escape suffering. Two reasons. And the third is this that Christ suffered in the flesh, in mind and in body. Now, if you want to be like Christ. You must have suffering of mind and body in the world. And that's one reason. And you should never ask to escape the common 
science of life for him, even what is common, because he went through it all. If you want to be like him, you must be like him like that. If you want to marry with him, you must also suffer with him. Remember that. Always keep that before your mind. Now you may commence be going through some mental agony that nobody knows of. Perhaps not even your wife or your husband. But remember this, never forget it, that Christ went through what you are going through. And what you are going through it, you are in that degree anyway. Like Christ. The matter is very There is another thought which I want to give to you and leave with you. And that is, if you are a Christian, chastisement is necessary for spiritual development. You can't develop as a Christian without chastisement. Well, now that's a big question. Really, the question of justice But, although I'm not able to go into it at any end, this is the case. Some characters of athletes are made mature and fit by exercise, continual exercise, by moderation, by self-denying. The person who is going to run a marathon race is not allowed to eat what he likes the day before, but for days before. He must diet, he must exercise. Now, in exactly the same way, the Christian is going to develop spiritually must have chastisement in this life. And chastisement develops us. Now these are the two thoughts which you ought to remember. One, that you must be like Christ. And the devil is saying, now why? Why? Why have I to go through this? This peculiar situation, it's a familiar situation that makes you ashamed. You say, why? Why did this, if it had been something else? Don't you talk like that. It's a chastisement that God has set upon you to develop you as a Christian. And everything depends upon the way you handle it. And upon the way you bring it to God, the effect of it depends upon that. Well, now Paul knew plenty about all these things. But he says something now, something else. He says that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Let us examine a little what he means by that. 
Paul, of course, wasn't that fool, an inexperienced man. And he uses the word he says, he says, I reckon, or as it sometimes may be translated, I calculate. I have made a reckoning, not of a matter of but I have put facts together on both sides. And the balance has come down absolutely on this side. I reckon, I count, I calculate that the settlements at the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall create in us. I assume we have Bishop Moon to see what he had the identity to say. He was a bishop in the English church and he was great at breaking up words. He was a great Greek scholar and he's great at breaking up words. And this is what he says. I was greatly taken by what he says about this Greek word that is translated record. For I record. And he says, it is a word of sublimest prose, more moving here than any poetry, because it gives us handed the hope of glory as a fact. Now that is really wonderful. I thought it was really wonderful. The word is a an uncommon word, but it is used by Paul for the single reason that what he's talking about, he's talking about salaries, and these are facts, they were facts in his own life. And the other thing that he's talking about, the glory of the stability, is indeed calling a fact. So that's how the word record can be used because there are facts on both sides. The one is a fact as much as the other. So he came in this calm, deliberate calculation concerning something of the present time. Now to call the glory that is in us was not an experience like the sufferings of the present time. Now I'm going to grant you I said to you that Paul were facts. What he was going through and what he was yet to get Paul was facts. But Paul were not experiences the sufferings were experimental, but the glory was not experimental. And you catch that, I The glory was something that he had not seen. The glory was something that had not yet come. He speaks of it as the glory that is to be revealed in us. It has not yet been revealed. It is called seeing glory. But he talks of it as a fact, and he speaks of it in 
as a fact in the word of righteousness. How then do you know at the word at all? It is often a matter of experience like sufferings. How do you know about it? <laughs> See, can you have a the promises of divine inspiration? Now, I've been trying my very best to get an inspiration for this, perhaps one of yourselves will get a better one. I couldn't really get one. But I was thinking about how I've been tortured by mental pain in, in a hospital. And the doctor said to her, No, everything is going to be all right. You're going to forget all that you're going to do. You're going to forget all that you're going through. And you're going to forget soon. And you're going to be so bad that all things that you're going through won't even be worthy of mention. But it will be tremendously difficult for any doctor to convince a patient of that when it's going to be tremendously difficult. But not any more difficult than it is to convince a patient who's going through sufferings that the sufferings are not worthy of being mentioned in comparison with the glory that shall prevail in us. How then did Paul think of it and rejoice and give it as an inducement unto these people to be patient in the suffering? He did it in this way. By believing in the promises of divine inspiration, the promises of God in his Bible, God promised a glory that is to be superabundant, that is going to be superior, that is going to surpass infinity any suddenness we have in this life. God says, <coughs> and Paul grasps what God says. And this is how we know He didn't see the glory any more than you did. He has never experienced the glory after the sufferings any more than you have. He was still suffering, but he believed in the glory. That is it. He believed what God had said. He knew it was true. Suffering. Well, if any man never had suffering, it was this man who had it was this man. He had abundance of them. And yet he said, there's not what he did about. In comparison with what is going to follow, with the glory that is being revealed in that this is because he believed. Now, my friend, you remember how Jesus said to his disciples, In this world you shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Do you remember how Paul? takes this saying of Christ and he says in another place in the New Testament in Corinthians that our light affliction which is but for a moment worth it for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Why do we look at the things which are seen? We don't look at the things. 
We don't measure other things that we see and feel and go through and suffer. We don't think, we don't look at them. We feel them, but we don't carry up them. We don't dwell on them. We don't get depressed by them. We don't look at the things that are temporal, but at the things that are not seen. The things that are eternal. Oh, blessed are those people to whom God has given a vision that can penetrate the boundaries of time, that can go through the boundaries of time into eternity. That's what kept Moses going. He looked, he, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. We are told. He saw him can you make that of the sin? He saw him who is invisible. That is, that is a paradox. How can you see the invisible one? With the eye of faith, with faith, with belief, the Holy Spirit working faith in you, and you can see through all the mist and the clouds and the darkness of the trials and sufferings of this life. Beyond that, into eternity, to the glory that shall be revealed in you. You all heard of John Calvin. <laughs> and John Calvin was probably the greatest theologian since Paul's day. There never was anybody like him since or after. All in all. And he suffered a tremendous loss. He suffered a loss. But when he was dying, he died with this death on his lips. It finished. He didn't finish it. He gave up the last breath while he was gasping and uttering uh, intelligently these words. For I record that the servants of the It's not going to be good. 
If you don't read chapters, then it's not going to work for your good. I must teach you that. This is something that I always teach against. We must feel that with all our feelings, let our tail exceed, and it is look beyond these things. They're not worthy to become dead. I come to say to you, Rousseau, you are suffering a lot. And you know, friend, there are some people in the world, and I, for my part, have often wondered how the reason is able to stand what they go through. I have often wondered that. I have often wondered when I sometimes do so upset myself over little things. How these people who never seem to be out of it at all, no sooner there's one thing gone than another thing worse than it comes, and forever and ever and ever that in it in the eyes and the blood, and you wonder how the reason can stand. Well, here is an answer to it anyway. Faith in God. Faith in what is going to come in the glory that shall be revealed in us. not worthy of being mentioned. Now let us consider the last point, this glory that shall be revealed in us. And there are many things uh, to be said about this. For example, there is no comparison between the duration of the sufferings and the duration of the glory. No comparison at all. The duration of the sufferings may be for 20 years, for 30 years, or 60 or 80 years. That may be the duration of the suffering. But the glory is eternal. It never ends. So the sufferings of the present time are not worthy in dimension. In that respect, in respect of duration. Oh, thank you, suffered. And you have no sympathy and no compassion. And you suffered long. As we say about people, they had a long time of it. So they had, as we record time. But then in the God's people, they pass on and their bodies go to the grave. And then they're going to inherit eternal glory, world without end, without suffering. And there is the intensity, there is a comparison to be made there, perhaps rather The intensity of the suffering. The suffering may drive you mad. The suffering may balance your reason. They may be that terrible. But the intensity of them is nothing, it's not worthy to be compared with the intensity of glory. If you say, I feel I can't stand more of it, it's getting too much for me. Why then, it is like a trigger compared to the ocean, compared to the glory that is going to be revealed in you, both in the sense of duration and of intensity. They are not worthy to be compared. Now, the suffering that will be revealed in us, this does not mean, although it has been included, but it does not mean the glory that will be revealed in us at death. 
when we die if we are not Not as hard as where she is included because when a person dies, when a believer dies, his soul goes into glory and the sufferings are over forever. His soul is perfectly sanctified and his body goes down into the grave and his dead body doesn't suffer anything either. But his soul is positively enjoying the glory of heaven. But that is not what is meant here. <coughs> That is true, that is true. But the glory that shall be revealed is an utter resurrection. See, this is how this age, of which I said Professor Murray speaks of, is compared to the other age. The age of this world, the suffering of this age, the age of the world, is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us in the other age, in the age of eternity, if you look at it like that. <coughs> that. That is what it means, the absence of resurrection. So, they are not worthy to be compared, because there will be a difference in capacity. Different capacities will come into action. See, different capacities, you, after all, friends, there is a limit of what you can suffer. You can't suffer everything. You only suffer your, your, your own trials. There is a limit to what you are capable of suffering. But who can say there would be a limit? But who can say what the limit of the glory would be? His capacities would be enlarged beyond measure and beyond speaking, and you're able to suffer so much. But in glory, your capacity would be so increased that there is no saying what about that glory will be revealed to you. It would be, if not infinitely more, unspeakably more than all the sufferings he ever achieved. This is it. Our capacities will be different. Our minds will grasp more. The clearer your mind is, the keener the suffering is in this life. But the clearer your mind is in eternity, the more you will enjoy the glory of eternity. You will have more knowledge than you have here. You will have more of the favor of God than you have here. You are more of the presence of God than you are here. You know, friends, I wonder if you know what the presence of God in sufferings really means. The presence of God in suffering is one of the most, one of the most mysterious, one of the most mysterious experiences in the life of Christian. How I can testify to this from my own experience of people and from what I have read. I have, you know, people have had the most trying circumstances, like the man of whom John Flannery speaks in the same detail, I never forgot it. I remember reading it before I ever became a minister in the island of Ireland. I was reading this book on holiday, and he says that he speaks of a man who laid his son in the grave 
and said that he experienced so much of the presence of God at the brink of that grave that he would have laid that son in a grave every day of his life. It's a marvelous thing. I have myself seen, I can testify, and if there was nothing to convince me of the power and the proof of Christianity with this, I have seen people going through the most terrible things in life, and they were the happiest people I ever saw. There was a serenity that came from heaven, a heavenly joy filling the souls. I remember at this particular moment, I remember one person, and it would require the heart of a lion to go through what she went with members of her family. It's indescribable. And I saw it with my own eyes that she saw it. And yet, her nearness to God always made me afraid to speak to her. She was that holy. She was so near to God. Now what I'm trying to find out to you is this, if in this life and in these sufferings you can get so much of the presence of God, what is that glory that is revealed to you when there are no sufferings, when there are no and you will have the presence of God much more, surpassing more than you've ever had in this life? There is no comparison, they're not worthy of being mentioned. They're not worthy of being reckoned or compared to this at all. <laughs> but then, before the time comes all together, here is one new thing that I want to draw their attention to. These things are not worthy, says Paul, with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Now then, you read the Bible carefully, always. Always ask you to do that. <laughs> If I had said this verse like this, I wonder if you had noticed my mistake. I was tempted to read it like that, but I didn't, because it's the inspired word of God. If I had read it like this, for I welcome that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare to the glory that shall be revealed to us. Would you have noticed the mistake? That that would be quite right. But that's not what's here. It's quite right, it said. But that's not what's here. There would be a glory revealed to the Christian in heaven after the resurrection. And the glory, who's going to? Who, who, can, who can speak of the glory? I haven't seen it. Here. If you are a Christian friend at the day of the resurrection, what are you going to see? What glory are you going to see? Well, you're going to see the prophets, the patriarchs, the apostles, the saints. You're going to see a countless number of Christian men and women, old and young children, that have been brought to heaven by the saving power of the blood of Christ. You're going to see that glory. Oh, friends, if you saw the glory of one age, but you're going to see the glory of all ages. We saw Abraham and Moses. 
and Elijah. We're just going to see them all in glory. Are you going to see Christ? You're actually going to see Christ? You're going to see him as you see me just now? He's to be in the midst of the throne. But all this is the glory that is to be revealed to you. To you. Not to you. But to you. And for the In other words, we're not going to be mere spectators. That would be mere spectating. The glory that is revealed to us. Look upon it and gaze upon it through eternity. Christ in the middle of the throne. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the family, the covenant. All those who suffered for the faith. Our own loved ones who would be among them. And so on. And we would be mere spectators. But we're not going to be mere spectators. We're going to be partakers. See the glory that shall be revealed in in us, or us word, or upon us, and the word See, and what does it say? It means that there is a glory that is to be given after the resurrection to the Christian, that he happened to God. That he would not have it till after the resurrection. The glory is to be revealed in him. Now I am at a loss, friend, but I am at a loss here. I don't know what to say. The servants of the present time are not worthy to be mentioned in comparison. And I suppose Paul, by faith, was able to grasp a little bit that he never saw them more than I or you did. But he knew it. And what is the glory, what is part of it anyway, that is to be revealed in us? It is this, that we shall have perfect likeness to Christ. That is the glory that is to be revealed in us. We shall be immune from sufferings forever and ever. That is part of the glory that is to be revealed in us. We shall have endless joy. We shall partake in the glory of heaven, for there is no night, and God shall wipe away all tears from the eyes. All his glory is to be given to us. We shall reign in Christ, says Paul. We suffered with him, and therefore we shall reign with him in heaven. Now I could never tell you what that means. I don't know what it means. I believe it. And many a time reverberates in my soul, if so be that we suffer with it, that we shall also reign with it. How am I going to reign in heaven? How am I going to be a king in glory? I don't know, but I know it's true. We shall reign with it. Oh, friends, what is this life in comparison with what is to come? In comparison not only with what you to see, but in comparison with what you to get, in comparison with what you to be, and that is what this text says, a marvel. Now in your heart and soul, 
I hope you'll go away tonight. I will take this very few steps on bringing to God. And I think it will cheer you, beautiful cheer. I am over the world. Now will you be a partaker of it? I am a friend. Have you a God and a Christ to go to? To tell him about. To tell him about. Have you got this imperishable hope? Or are you sinking into the, into the ocean of suffering and disappointment and gloom and things happen which you believed would never happen? Is your hope able to penetrate and say, what? This is terrible. This is almost dying, you say, but I reckon that it is not worthy to be compared with what my hope does. The glory that is going to be revealed in me. Are you one of these? Well, if not, then you want. Come to Jesus. And you can see what the apostles said. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we pray that thou wouldst be our God that guides us even unto death. <coughs> And as we partake of the sufferings of this life, may we remember that if we are thy people, we shall also partake of the glory of heaven. And may this be an encouragement to our hope, a stimulus to our faith. Bless us all, bless each one of us. Remember the hearts that are broken here tonight. And if there are hearts broken for sin, if there are people who remember that they have spent their lifetime refusing Christ, living to themselves and to the world, would thou not make them repent? Would thou not make the young boys and the young girls, the young people among them? Would thou not make them see that this life is worth nothing in comparison? with the glory that thy people are to 